You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Amen. So let's continue on. This is Habitation. What are you building? Part one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. This is the words of Jesus and what he declared. He said, therefore, everyone, say everyone. everyone. That means all of you that are listening right now. It says, who hears these words of mine and notices, puts them into practice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to put it in practice. Turn to your other neighbor whose back was towards you and say, put it into practice. All right. Turn around to somebody else. We're going to do it three times. Put it in the practice. You got to put it in the practice. Don't just be a hearer of the word. You got to be a doer of the word. Amen. Says, put them into practice is like a what? It's like a wise man. Come on. And we just prayed in the very beginning. Lord, let your wisdom alight upon us. Some of us, we, we want to ask God for wisdom and say, God, give me wisdom. But we never put in the practice the things he says. Oh, come on. I'm not trying to be mean. God says, okay, I'll give you wisdom. Do what I say. Well, I don't know if I like that scripture. I don't know. I just, I'm not feeling that one right here. Well, you said you want wisdom. So there are different ways wisdom comes. Of course, you ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you. But then also you got to become wise by doing what he says to do. And everyone says. So notice this. He puts in, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock, came, uh, the, the rock, <laughs> the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And how many know who the rock is? It's not what the rock is, it's who the rock is. That rock, of course, is the person of Jesus. That when you establish your life and you build your life on the person of Jesus, you're considered a wise person. It continues on. It says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. There's a couple of points that I want to draw out of this particular passage of Scripture that Jesus discoursed from. Number one, first, everyone is building something. Everyone is building something. You that hear the word of God, you are building your life. It's everyone who hears these words of mine. So if you're hearing them, you automatically, whether you realize it or not, you automatically become a contractor. You go, I'm not a contractor. You become a contractor whether you realize it or not. And your ignorance of his word, what you do with it or what you don't do with it, does not mean that you are excommunicated from being a contractor. In fact, you go, I don't know if I'm a builder. The very fact that you are hearing his word and doing something with it, automatically Jesus says you're a builder. So whether you're a builder or not is not the issue. It's what kind of builder are you? 
So this is where we make the determination, not of whether we're a builder in our life, but what kind of builder we are of our life. And everyone says, you see, again, you don't determine whether you're a builder or not just what, but what kind of builder you are. Don't be deceived into thinking just because I can't see what I'm building, I must not therefore be building something. You see, just because you don't see what's being built doesn't mean you're not building something. Everyone is building something whether you see it or not. Second, notice. Here we go. And Jesus, there we go. Second, notice there is a therefore. In fact, that's the very first word, therefore. So the therefore, we must find out what was before in order to know what the therefore means. So in order to know that, you have to go three verses before, which creates the context of the therefore. So here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, I don't have it up here. If you got your digital devices, you may turn to it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, again, three verses before. This is what the scriptures declare. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Watch this but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many, say many. Many. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23 says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So we see at the end of the age when Jesus comes, the issue is not whether you knew Jesus. The issue becomes, did Jesus know you? And sometimes in the Western church, we love that I know Jesus, but that isn't the issue. The issue is just Jesus know you. That's why we love a theology in which it becomes about me knowing Jesus rather than Jesus knowing me. You see, when I first came here, many of you heard the story in which I was over in Singapore, my wife and I, many of you heard the testimony that we heard the word, will you go to the cross? And of course, I had to make a determination. Am I willing to sub my ministry to his lordship or am I going to assume lordship of my own ministry that he actually gave me? Come on, are you here? Many don't know this, but when I was in the back, when I first came here, and this was probably within about the first two weeks and when I was overseas ministering in the various nations, you know, the, back in the day, you'd have magazines. I know we do everything through digital devices now. But in the pastor's office, I don't know if he had, like, for example, a subscription to Charisma Magazine, but there were some Charisma Magazines that were there. And so I never had Charisma Magazines when I went overseas or anything like that. I mean, I have my Bible. I had my Greek and uh, Hebrew language resources, and I had some concordances, and I had some theological reference books and things like that. I never had these magazines. I mean, yeah, I'm not sitting there going through Charisma Magazines while I'm casting devils out up in the Himalayas or in the outback casting devils out of aboriginals, Right? or shamans that were over in Mongolia, which I really did do that, and, and witch doctors and over the Philippines. And yes, I actually did that too. And so, you know, when I came here, I was going through the Charisma magazine, okay? 
And as I'm sitting there and I'm flipping through it, again, I'd not, it was the old pastor, it was his office, and I just, you know, at that time, it was still kind of, all his stuff was there, he ended up leaving. And so I'm flipping through this magazine, and I'm kind of somewhat being entertained by it, to be honest with you. And you had all these kind of glam pictures, prophetess so-and-so, anointed apostle call to the nations and come and get your prophetic word and all these glam shots and all this stuff like that. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking through this and again, I'm just kind of a, a barbarian missionary who just came Rah! and I'm sitting here looking through this, probably getting a little bit annoyed with all the glam shots that were there like this. And I'm sitting there flipping through this and the spirit of God spoke to me and said, there are people here that love their own life. And he showed me in an instance, and I wouldn't even know who they were if I was to go back there, that there were those that were there that were actually called to different nations. But they did not want to go to different nations. They loved their American Christianity and life and were trying to bring promotion through it. And what that did is it brought a further validation because, of course, you know what the Holy Ghost spoke to me when I was over in Singapore. Will you go to the cross? And so as I'm flipping, there's like another confirmation that when Jesus is speaking these things, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who hear his word. Are you here? It's so vitally important that we're so close to the Holy Ghost that when he speaks to us, and not just we came to the altar 20 years ago and we got saved, that's good, but it's insufficient. He wants to be in relationship. We are a temple of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know about you, but from my understanding of Scripture, he likes to talk. It's we who don't usually like to listen. This is why the book of Hebrews says, in the day in which you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, all that rebellion stuff that happened in the Old Testament, he says all of that was actually for us in this church age, in this dispensation of grace, not to do what they did. They had received a promise, but they didn't believe. Why? Because they hardened their heart. And so we see the context here of building your life is when Jesus speaks to you. The issue isn't, do you know Jesus? The issue is, does Jesus know you? Because when he speaks to you, do you listen? Do you trust and obey for there is no other way? It seems like you've heard this before, but to trust and obey. Notice in verse 22, it says many. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, again, same chapter, in the same context, there's no break whatsoever, Jesus makes this statement. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only, watch this, a few find it. Now, this parable is not about the condition of the road, okay? Now, I don't know about you. Some of you don't know that when I first got saved, I actually got all my best friends before I actually made a firm commitment in which like I died to myself, like, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, which it was like, you know, 17 to 19. I was, that was my struggling with God years. But many don't know that uh, as an unbeliever, uh, I actually gave my life to the Lord when I was 13 years old because all my best friends, wherever I moved, I moved a lot, as you know. Ironically, 
All of my best friends, wherever I moved, were actually Christians themselves and their, their parents were Christians. And so hanging out with my best friends, whenever I moved, I find it interesting that God hooked me up at least with believers. And so at 13 in the Baptist church, I remember giving my life to the Lord. And if you grew up, on, who grew up in a Baptist church here? Anybody grew up Baptist? Yeah, we got a few of them Baptists. You know, kind of this, this is the, the scripture right here about the road. Wide is that road, boy, and many go down that road. It's an easy road, you know. The devil's on that road, and he'll make you sure. Many people are going down that easy road, you know. But you don't want to go down that road, but you want to go down the narrow road. It's a difficult road, I tell you. It's a hard road, I tell you. But I tell you, if you make it to the very end, you get into those pearly gates, you'll be glad you went on that narrow, hard road it was. Hard road. But it was a hard road for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus down that hard road. Listen, it's not about the condition of the road. It's about the width of the road. Technically, it's not about the condition of the road, but it's the condition of the traveler. It says many go down that road. But he says the one that goes down the narrow, few find it, which means what? They were seeking. So it's an issue. It's an issue, as our brother Roger just spoke, of focus. Seek First, the kingdom of God. When you seek first the kingdom of God, it automatically places you on the narrow road. So it's not about the condition of the road. It's about the condition of the traveler. You see that? So you determine. The road doesn't determine it. You determine whether you're on that road. The road doesn't determine whether you're on it. Are you here? So it's not about a hard road or an easy road, you know. See, can I tell you this? In fact, that scripture, though it's used for salvation, isn't about salvation. It's about your sanctification. Mm -hmm. So again, the parable is not about the condition of the road, but about the population of the road. Verse 23, what is verse 23? I never knew you. You see, we love a theology, theology of I love Jesus, or I know Jesus, excuse me. But that's not the theology of judgment at the end of the age by which we'll get judged. The theology we're judged by isn't do I know Jesus, but does Jesus know me? That's why we love in America come to Jesus theology. But that doesn't become the issue. The issue is what happens when Jesus comes to you. How do you respond to him that way? And sometimes in the church, that becomes the main focus point of our theology, is did you come to Jesus? And so we bring people to Jesus, but we never disciple them on how they are to treat Jesus when Jesus comes to them. Or how to recognize Jesus when he does come to you. 
And that's the process of discipleship. That's just getting to first base. You come into Jesus. But we need to hit home runs by our responses when Jesus comes to us. Come on, are you here? Oh, come on, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. All right. That's why we love in America a come-to-Jesus theology because that theology at the altar is determined by us, but Jesus coming to me is determined by Jesus. Did you get that? I come to the altar. I come to Jesus on my terms. But when Jesus comes to us, we're like, well, you know, la, 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 la. Right? Because sometimes he comes to us in inopportune times, in times in which it's inconvenience. Like, for example, you're getting ready to stay over in Singapore and launch out, and God says, now nah, let's throw a monkey wrench into your plans. Here's my plans. Ah, la, 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 la. I don't like your plan. I know your soul doesn't like the plan, but is this about you or is this about me? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these mighty miracles? Didn't I go to Connect Group? Didn't I go to church on Sunday morning when Roger gave those fiery sermons of giving? I even gave a big offering and all this. They'll say, yeah, but when you left the building and I came to you outside of the designated time in which you come to me, I came to you outside the church building on a Friday evening and told you, hey, maybe you shouldn't be hanging out at this place. Ah, la, 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 la. I'll get right with you. I'll come to Jesus on a Sunday. I felt that in the spirit. Someone, is someone on a Friday night being somewhere they shouldn't be? I'll stop being pastoral. I'll be more evangelistic. Just come to Jesus right now. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. Third point. You ready for this one? All right. Third, you are not guaranteed a storm-free life. In fact, you're guaranteed storms will come against what you are building. That means if you are promised, come to Jesus and he'll solve all your problems and you'll have a storm-free life, you are lied to. In fact, I'll submit this to you. This is the reason why we have lots of people that are backslidden because they were given that promise that just come to Jesus, he'll take away all your storms. And so therefore, they come to Jesus with that pretext and then all of a sudden, the storms are still hitting them. They said, the preacher lied to me. Forget this. I gave it a shot. Therefore, I'm going to go back to living my own life. Wow. Jesus never offered you a storm-free life. What he promised is that your house, what you build, will be fortified and be strengthened because you placed your building on him. So that while everybody else is building and their life is falling apart, for whatever reason, you're like, man, my life is not falling apart. You'll almost feel bad, and you, indeed you will feel bad because you'll see lives collapsing around you, but your life won't collapse. And you'll know it has to do what you built that house on. You see, when you build your life on the rock... That's one of the things you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. the life just collapsed because of that. Yeah. 
When you realize it's because it was on sand. It was on, what is that? That's earth. That's world, right? What did Jesus do? He washed the feet of the disciples because that's what contacts the dirt, the earth, which is uncleanness. So the dirt is the philosophies of the world that you build your life on. The sand is the philosophies of the world. And this is why you have to dig down past the philosophies of this earth and build it on a person named Jesus. His words, his wisdom, and his ways. And then when you build it upon him, this is when you have that which will strengthen you and strengthen your house. And listen, again, why does it not collapse? Because the foundation of your life is built upon him. Yeah, I think this is the why sometimes what ends up happening is if you build it that way, then you end up living a life of being a philosopher, asking questions as to why did this happen to me? Kind of in a philosophical conundrum, right? Why is this happening to me? Can I tell you this? I used to have those questions like everybody else does. If God's a good God, how come he does this? Why is this? There's evil. Why is God allow evil in the world? And all these philosophical questions. These are what I call sand questions. Because here's what I found out. That when I dug and I placed my life and I built my house on that rock, are, those questions, I actually, they don't, I don't even have those questions anymore. There are certain questions I don't have anymore because they become irrelevant to me because of the life of the rock that gives strength to the house. And I'm like, I, I'm actually shocked. Like, man, I, that doesn't even concern me anymore. And it's not to say those aren't valid questions. But when you give your life over to Christ and you begin to build upon the person of Jesus, there are just certain questions that you don't have anymore. They become irrelevant when you have an understanding of the creator of the heavens and the earth, an eternal being, you're like, it becomes irrelevant because I know the source of strength doesn't come from the answering of those questions, but because I already received strength from him and those become irrelevant questions. Come on, are you here? Fourth, you must love God's word, Lagos. We've said this many a times. So many people say, I love God, but loving God is determined by you loving God's word. In fact, I've, I've heard it and I've said it many a times. You only love God as much as you love his word. This is why if I challenge you and I say, what's your devotional life? How do you study the Bible? Well, it's kind of, it's dusted and maybe, you know, or in my digital device, you don't, you know, have anything and, you know, it's like one month, you know, that you don't read the word of God. I can tell your love for God by your love of his word. That also means that if you don't love his word, you won't be in his word. If you don't, it's a, it's an indicator. Can I say that? So you have to have a love for God's word. You know, in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 16, he said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. How can you know his commandments if you don't get in his word? God, I want, you know, pastor, I want to know what the will of God is. Read his word. Why do you come to me like I'm, you know, some medium or something, the intermediary, and you come to me like I'm a witch doctor to sit there and provide the will of God. He gave you his word. So what's the will of God for me? Read your Bible. Obey the Bible. 
do what the Bible prescribes? Why do I have to spoon feed you? Why don't you do it yourself? Right? I mean, I want to hear, I want to help you. Okay, but you're not an invalid spiritually. Okay, so just feed me, pastor, feed me. All right, feed yourself, lazy thing. Why do I got to do all the spiritual heavy lifting and you do nothing? You're 40 years old in the spirit, but you're like, you know, a two-year-old in pampers. Still got to change your diapers and everything like that. Feed me, feed me. Feed yourself, you lazy thing. I can't believe I said this. Oh, wow. Hallelujah. Am I doing okay? All right. You love your pastor? I love you. Really, I do. Seems to be entertainment today, I guess. I don't know. It's the entertainment spirit coming out, I guess. It's the Jim Carrey anointing, as someone said one time. I can already tell. There are so many good clips of me. Someone's going to make me a heretic. They're going to cherry pick so many things. This person at Freedom House believes there's a Jim Carrey anointing. (laughs) No, I don't. Okay, I'm joking. All right. right. If you love me, keep my commands. Watch this. And... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Watch this. The Father gives you the advocate when you show yourself to love him. How? By obeying him. Some people want the Holy Ghost without obeying his commandments. Just give me the Holy Ghost so I feel better. But don't give me the Holy Ghost to empower me to keep the commandments. This is where we get into charismatic entertainment in which the Holy Ghost just becomes another drug for you so that you feel better. Oh, come on. This is why I believe in not just soaking in the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit. Ooh. Come on, are you here? I believe in soaking for a moment, but what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To empower you for service, not for soaking. Come on, are you here? There's nothing wrong with that. But it says, from that day on the day of Pentecost, they went out everywhere preaching. Okay? You see that? So there's a purpose of the Holy Ghost, not just your feelings. Oh, okay. I went there on a Sunday morning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Let's just, let's, let's walk in the spirit. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. So notice the help of the Holy Spirit comes to those who love and obey his word. Unfortunately, in Christian culture, we want the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we want rather than what he wants. Reading the word of God transforms your life. Let's go to the next one. Yes. Mark chapter 10. And this is the last one, the fifth one. Is it the fifth one, the fourth one? You must love God's word. His logos, as well as his rhema. As Jesus started on his way in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. 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 (laughs) Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus, watch this, looked at him and loved him. It's curious that the scripture actually puts that in there. One thing you lack. Say one thing you lack. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So again, fifth. Here's the fifth one. You must love God's word, his rhema word. So what was the fourth one? You must love his lagos. I want you to take into consideration here that this man comes, if you will, with the word of God, the Lagos, and says all these things. I'm a good Christian. I go to church every Sunday. I give in the offering. I go to connect. I serve in the church. I've even gone on the mission trip. I'm doing everything I know to do. I obey the Bible. And notice that Jesus looks at him And the Bible says that he loved him. Now, why would the Bible say that? It's very simple. Because when Jesus is about to say something that cuts to your soul, your immediate reaction is, he's mean. Well, I can't believe he's so demanding. You see, there are sometimes there are things that are said because of love. That can be hard sayings. Like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't, you have no life. Well, who can accept a command like this? Because those things have to be said because it cuts. And notice that Jesus, operating in discernment, recognizes in this man. And notice Jesus does not actually confront him and say, no, that's not true. So obviously the testimony of this rich man was true. He's kept all these things. He's been a good, law-abiding, Jewish, Lagos-loving Jew. Are you here? He's doing everything right. Jesus didn't say, ah, no, 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 you got secret sin. Don't tell me about it. I know you got this going on in your life. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, he looked at him, loves him. He says, wow, this guy's really zealous. He came up to me. He ran up. He fell on his knees. Certainly, he's hungry. And Jesus noticed something that he was lacking. What was the issue? He loves his own life. He loves his life. And Jesus recognized in the moment, "Mm, this guy has potential. I could raise him up, bring him with me. He could move in what I'm moving. And he's a tremendous asset, super charismatic guy. But he's in this world. He has upward mobility. He has the right connections. He's connected to the right business people, the right politicians. He's a young guy, upward mobility. He could really change culture. And yet Jesus is looking and saying, man, he would be effective in the kingdom. I could see raising him up and he would be a powerfully anointed person in the kingdom of God rather than in the kingdoms of this world. I could use him there. And so this man is looking and he looks at the requirement of Jesus, which is what? His rhema. The man was spot on with the Lagos. I'm obeying the Bible. But when Jesus, 
begins to speak a rhema word specific to him. How many know this isn't to everybody? Not everybody that's wealthy in here is this command of, of Jesus. Come on, are you here? This was specific. He says, one thing you lack. That doesn't mean people in here lack that. Make lots of money. Give to the house of God and, and make lots of money. And I've met many people. I've met, I should say a few people, not many people. Heard many stories and know of a few people that have actually, when they were reading this, the Holy Ghost hit them, and they knew that that was specifically for them. But you can't manufacture that, and you can't legislate that. This has to come by the Spirit of God. When you have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So you have to love His Word, but you also have to love not just His written Word, you have to love His spoken Word. So He was acquiescent, and He was obedient to the written Word, but then the spoken word came to him because the spoken word deals with your soul life. This is why Jesus makes this statement in, in which he speaks. You must deny yourself, your what? Your soul life. Pick up your cross. This was an opportunity for this man to follow Jesus, but the requirement was for him to deny his life, pick up his cross, and then go and follow after Jesus. Jesus didn't say, come and bring all those stuff with you because that would not have dealt with his life. In order to have his life, and listen, I'm all about having a great time. Come on, are you here? I was cracking jokes in the beginning. You know I love life. But I love Zoe life, not my own life. I give my own life away so that I can have that higher life, that supernatural life beyond just the natural life. To have his will rather than my will. His ways rather than my ways. And how does that happen? That happens not when we come to Jesus, but when Jesus comes to us. Jesus came to the... He came to Jesus, but then Jesus came to him. What do you do when Jesus comes to you? When he speaks the word to you and says, what about this issue? Why don't you do that? This is what I would like you to do. Why don't you talk to this person? I mean, you name it. Relationships. Why are you behaving this way? And begins to challenge you in various areas of your life when he comes to you. Do you listen to what he has to say? Isn't that really what discipleship is all about? Being disciples so that we can be carriers of his glory. So that we can be a habitation for God. God loves to live on the inside of us rather than just visit us when we come on a Sunday at the front at an altar call when we come to Jesus? Do we afford him a place inside of us to where it's not just something that happens in an altar, but our life becomes an altar throughout the week? Are you here? You know, in John chapter 21, Jesus actually reinstates Peter. Remember, he denies the Lord. It says this in 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me or do you agapeo me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said a second time, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, 
do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 18 goes on, very truly I tell you. Very truly I tell you. Come on, work in Jesus. There we go. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes. Uh, He said in verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you are younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I want you to take into consideration. In John chapter 14, Jesus gives a discourse that I just, of course, read in the earlier verse there that talks about, of course, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus is talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I want you to get the context. This is literally, this discourse, 15, uh, 14, 15, 16, is right before Jesus is arrested. So in other words, the disciples, when he gives this address in the book of John, he's, they've already walked with him for three years. I want you to consider what is actually happening to the disciples at this moment. Number one, they've left everything and followed him, this itinerant minister right? Preacher, the Messiah they believed him to be. And now it's coming to the end and Jesus has torpedoed their ministry philosophy. They had an envision that Jesus would come and subjugate Rome, that they would sit on the right and the left in his glory. So they could have been following under that pretext of this vision of ministry that they would have. They even argued about it. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Oh, no, it's going to be me, not you. I mean, Peter had an ego that was way up here. This is the reason why he fell so far. I'm sure when Jesus goes to reinstate him here, even all the other disciples are like, oh, yeah, Peter, braggadocious Peter, talking about how he'll never leave Jesus. He sits there and denies him three, not once, three times. Yeah, we know that, Peter. I'm sure Peter is feeling down. He's probably having some depression. But we see here, after Jesus torpedoes their ministry philosophy, It's here he says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving you guys. What? You're leaving us? First of all, you torpedo our ministry philosophy. You're not going to subjugate Rome. You're not going to kick them out. We're not sitting at your right and left. It's been three years we've been following you. It'd be one thing if I followed you for a week because then I could go back to my plan A. But now it's been three years. I go back. The job's not there for me anymore. I got nowhere else to go. I can't even return to to, to my business that I had. Everything has changed. We followed you. You torpedoed my whole idea of what ministry is going to look like. And now you're saying, oh, by the way, sayonara. And oh, by the way, where I go, I, I can't come and follow you there. And Jesus sits there and he says, listen, I'm not gonna leave you with orphans. You know, I'm gonna come to you. How? By the spirit of God. This is why we gotta hear what he's saying. And it's during this time of tribulation that we know that he comes to get arrested. We know eventually that Peter would deny him three times. He's feeling really bad. I don't know about you, but in my pastoral counsel, to try and restore Peter, I probably would not have done what Jesus done. Right? This is what I would have. I would have went to Peter and said, Peter, even though you denied me, and I know you're going through all this turmoil right now, Peter, do you know that I love you? 
the first time. The second time, Peter, don't you know I love you? The third time, Peter, come on. I don't want you depressed in your soul. Don't you know Jesus loves you? He flips the scripts and says to him, do you love me? The first time. He's gone through all this. He feels like a loser. His ministry philosophy is torpedoed. It's about the time I get validated. Jesus loves me. Do you love me, Jesus? Look at what I'm going through for you. Jesus flips the script and says, yeah, but do you love me? You see, life doesn't revolve around you, Peter. You see, we want Jesus to follow us rather than us follow him. That's the American theology that's we're propagating. That's why we have weak disciples in the house of God. Because we're not willing to flip the script and make it about Jesus. We want to make our Christianity about ourselves. That's probably what I would have done. You know, Ryan, I know you're going through all these hard times, all this. You know, we love you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus tells him, do you love me? First time. Do you agapeo me? Yeah, you know I phileo you. No, Peter, do you love me? I know you've gone through all these issues. I torpedoed your ideas. But do you agapeo me? Yeah, 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 I phileo you. Peter, do you even phileo me? Oh, come on, man. You're putting me on the spot here. Not feeling validated. I'm not feeling the love, Jesus. Then he says this at the end of this whole thing. Follow me. And gives an indication. In other words, Peter, in your early life, you're super braggadocious. You could be arrogant. You did what you wanted to do. But at the end of your life, you're not going to do what you wanted to do. But here's what I can tell you, Peter. You will glorify me. You will come to the place to where you will glorify me, even in your death. This is the message of the gospel. It's the good news that there's resurrection, supernatural life. But the requirement is our soul life. And everyone says, did you get something out of that? Praise God. Why don't you stand to your feet? Jesus loves you. Do you love Jesus? (laughs) Amen. You've been listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.